Hello, and welcome to Waste Dive's new audio series, Talkin' Trash, a look at the hotly debated developments and initiatives that are transforming the waste and recycling industry. I'm your waste diva, Kristen Muslin. And I'm your garbage enthusiast, Cole Rosengren. And we are your editorial team at Waste Dive. For our very first episode, we're going to be looking at plastic bags, which are a very small but very contentious part of the waste stream. There have been a lot of debates and discussion on how to deal with single-use plastic bags, which are generally collected from grocery stores or retailers. And while they're useful for consumers, they're actually gumming up MRF equipment and polluting waterways and generally just creating a hazard for the environment. So California actually voted to ban these plastic bags back in November, which made it the first state to pass this type of a statewide measure. But we also know that plastic bags have been banned in every county across Hawaii. And then there are cities like Washington, D.C., where WasteDive is based, that charge five cent fees for the bags. Other cities charge 10 cents for the bags. But a lot of retailers and manufacturers are actually opposing these charges and bans, saying that they're bad for businesses. So the issue seems to bring out strong opinions from plastic stakeholders, environmental advocates, and plenty of consumers. But Cole, how about you give us a bit of insight on why this is such a big deal for the waste industry? Yeah, as you mentioned, one of the top complaints I've been hearing from MRFs lately uh, are about these bags. Some cities and counties have moved to uh, restrict them from their programs because they're getting stuck in equipment. Um, And really, no other product seems to be getting this much attention right now. Many cities are, as you mentioned as well, have been putting in place uh, ordinances and fees. And it's complicated because the plastics industry and the waste industry work very closely together, of course. You know, plastics wants to develop new products. Waste industry needs to figure out how to deal with them. But no one really wants to see the other one uh, restricted that much. Um, And until recently, this hasn't really been happening. You know, up where I'm based in Massachusetts, uh, the island of Nantucket did ban them back in 1990. But other than that, no one has really done this until San Francisco in 2007. And since then, we've seen it pick up quite a bit. It seems like almost every major city in the country has at least uh, discussed it, if not implemented uh, or tried to implement a plan. Um, obviously, California's 2014 statewide ban has been the biggest so far. That is the one that was challenged, of course, um, by representatives of the plastics industry through a ballot referendum that ended up ultimately passing last fall, as you mentioned, Proposition 67, which was seen as a pretty big defeat for the uh, the bag industry. But they have not stopped, um, and the fight continues in multiple cities now. So to get a little sense of why these bags are such a big deal and how how this fight has evolved over the years, I caught up with Jenny Romer, who is an attorney and founder of PlasticBagLaws.org. Jenny started out in San Francisco. She's now working in New York City on their own bag ordinance. And Jenny said that even after working on this for years, it's still kind of hard to believe that millions of dollars can be spent on such a small item. I have to step back a lot of the time and think, you know, this is just one little product. But I really see it as a as a tipping point for you know, single-use plastics generally. Uh, and I think the industry does too, if they're willing to spend so much on protecting the marketplace. So as Romer referenced, more than $6 million was raised by the American Progressive Bag Alliance to oppose Prox 67. This group is made up of major plastic manufacturers such as Novlex and Hylex Poly, and you'll see them being active in many bag debates throughout the country. So are these policies actually working in the places that they're happening? Like, has one method been the most effective? Everyone approaches it a little differently. Uh, Sometimes it's a ban on plastic and a fee on paper, like we've seen in California. Other times it may be a fee on one or on both. 
Romer personally says she favors a ban on plastic and a fee and everything else because that forces consumers to make a choice at the register and can theoretically reduce the amount of plastic bags ending up as litter. Now, on the other hand, I also spoke to Phil Rosensky, who is the Senior Director of Sustainability at Novolex, uh, and Phil's a common opponent of bag ordinances. You'll see him testifying uh, quite, quite frequently around the country. And rather than debate the effectiveness of this method, he took a different approach. In the most simplistic terms, everybody says, hey, you pass this law, you ban plastic bags, and plastic bags go away. You know, I cannot argue with the logic of that. You can ban anything and it goes away. And you can tax anything, and people will use less of it. It is a fact. But the question is, what also happens? So depending on who you talk to or where you look, those results can differ. Um, As Phil hinted at, paper bags or thicker plastic reusable bags can indeed have higher emissions ramifications sometimes uh, if more of them end up in the waste stream. And we've seen this happen in cities that have implemented bans or fees, then didn't necessarily think it through. You know, you see, maybe you get rid of single-use thin plastic bags, but you see more of the other types ending up uh, in, as litter. And have you really solved the problem in that case? Or maybe you've just created a new one. And so Phil is on to something there. Um, another factor is, of course, that MRFs may accept material from multiple cities or towns or counties with different ordinances. And so it can be challenging for them, challenging for haulers as well, who are uh, transporting this material. And so this is why you see folks in the bag industry saying bans don't work, and then on the flip side, why the anti-bag people are saying they should just be banned entirely. Over the last few years, we've lost focus on the things that are going to make a difference uh, in our waste stream and litter stream, and we're not addressing the things that are right. We're, We're caught up in these political activities rather than the science of what's really going on. So what's really going on then? Because I know my local grocery store has one of the drop-off bins for single-use plastic bags, and we've been seeing more plastic film programs like RAP teaming up with states for these types of bins across grocery stores across the country. So is this something that the industry can actually manage? They tell me they can. Um, and you're right. I see it in my grocery store as well. Just uh, finally started participating in the drop-off program myself. And um, I hear from Rosensky that Novlux in particular has uh, two facilities in the Midwest that can recycle these. Other folks are doing the same. Uh, and according to some of the most recent data from American Chemistry Council, uh, almost 1.2 billion pounds of post-consumer film were collected in 2014. So granted, that does include some packaging, but we are seeing a lot of these bags being picked up now. EPA also joined RAMP last year, which was uh, a big big deal for them to you know raise their awareness. And folks I've talked to at Association of Plastic Recyclers have also told me there is definitely a market for clean polyethylene film plastic that these bags are made of. Now, of course, that does not mean the bags are always clean. Uh, As Jenny Romers mentioned, you know, a lot of these bags may be used to line uh, bathroom trash cans, used for dog waste, used to carry recyclables. And what's the market for those? You know, what is happening with those? In her view, uh, until the recycling options for that kind of dirty or mixed plastic film is as convenient as curbside recycling, she just doesn't really see this working. Some products are more valuable than others. Some products are easier to collect than others. And plastic bags, um, just we haven't seen any, any successful program on a municipal level to collect and recycle used plastic bags. 
the plastics industry keeps putting this forward as as the best kind of the best option, a feel good option. Um, but we haven't seen that work anywhere in the country, and they've been at it for a long time. Well, it sounds like they're going to be at it for a lot longer. I know that Chicago just updated its ordinance to a seven cent fee on paper and plastic. And then New York's five cent fee is actually under fire in the state legislature right now, uh, which is something that we've been following on Waste Dive. And then Boston is also looking at its own policy, right? Yeah, those are the big three that have been on my radar lately. Um, as of this recording, New York's five cent fee actually appears to be stalled in Albany, the state capital right now. That law was set to take effect on February 15th, but both the state Senate and Assembly have now passed bills this week that would delay implementation until at least next year. Uh, technically, it's 270 days at the earliest, um, be January 2018, New York City Council would have to vote again whether or not they want to repeal or move forward on this plan. Um, technically, Governor Cuomo could still step in with a veto, but it's not looking good right now. Legislators say they don't want to kill the measure outright, rather they just want more time to study it, uh, maybe reach a potential compromise. Still unclear what new information they're looking for, since this was originally introduced in 2014 and has received hours of hearings at this point, as well as around the country. Uh, more to come on that. Now, Romer said this was not necessarily surprising uh, in this new political climate. She's seen the dynamics around environmental regulations potentially changing, becoming maybe more difficult than before. Now, quick note, this interview with her was recorded before President Trump's inauguration and also before the latest votes in Albany. Right now, we're in a very different political landscape um, mm -hmm. with the, the new president-elect. And I think that there's, there's been a lot of talk uh, with local about local uh, and state environmental legislation and the importance of and the, the urgency of having strong regulations at the local level. So, um, and because the president-elect is threatening to dismantle our environmental regulatory framework. What's interesting is that we've been seeing some states preemptively banning bans. We know that Michigan's lieutenant governor just signed a bill in December that restricts any packaging ordinances within the state. And I believe that that's the seventh bill of its kind now. Yeah, it is a very interesting trend that um, kind of felt like it came out of nowhere. It's over just the last year or so we started seeing this pop up more. Um, interestingly, though, in Texas, where some lawmakers are trying to do a similar thing, there's been some pushback from unexpected conservative allies who say this amounts to basically state overreach and they want to see local control maintained. Whether or not they agree with the policies, you know, they don't agree with the principle of the state telling cities what to do. And so that's uh, something we could see more of as more states attempt to do this. Romer also hinted that she may be looking into legal options to challenge some of these policies. Uh, when I spoke to Rosensky, trying to you know ask him some questions about this, he didn't have much to say on any specific state policy, though he did have a pretty interesting take on how this might tie into the Trump effect. After all, Trump did win Michigan last November. Well, it's interesting that the... Um, the the backlash that we've seen against bag bans and other packaging regulation is occurring in, in the you know, center mass of that. So I think there's a story there that, that should be listened to as well. That maybe the, you know the masses that are you know kind of quiet about this really don't see it as meaningful policy and, and maybe intrusive or obstructive to getting things done. Well, we have definitely seen that people do get up in arms about changes to their trash policies, and maybe this is just taking that to the next level. 
yeah, you know, it's a new idea, but it could be possible. This starts carrying over to other packaging restrictions and policies as well. Um, we've certainly seen polystyrene foam food containers being regulated in some cities. Uh, Maryland's even talking about doing that on a statewide level now. And uh, folks here in Massachusetts have even um, said they might start going after plastic water bottles someday. So this could be the beginning of an anti-packaging wave coming forward. And as far as what we can expect from the plastics industry and the bag industry, they do not seem to be backing down after Prop 67, which some folks thought maybe they would. Rosensky told me this is more about politics than sustainability in his eyes. Um, and I know Romer feels the same way, though she's certainly coming from a different place. And not everything, maybe that's the one thing they can agree on. Maybe. Well, that'll do it for this edition of Talk and Trash. For more news, check out our daily coverage at wastedive.com. Follow us on Twitter at Wastedive or give us a like on Facebook. And also be sure to tune in next episode when we discuss commercial waste franchising. And if you have any other topics you'd like for us to cover, feel free to submit feedback through our homepage at Wastedive.com. And until next time, I'm your Waste Diva, Kristen Muslin. I'm your garbage enthusiast, Cole Rosengren. And this was Talkin' Trash. Talkin' Trash.